Part five of Prose Romances from the Oxford and Cambridge Magazine by William Morris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Goethe's Lovers, Chapter Two, Luchnar's Ride. Then for some days each man wrought his best that they might meet the invaders as they ought. Yet through all the work, Luchnar seemed very restless and uneasy falling into staring fits and starting from them suddenly but the king was calm and cheerful outwardly whatever passion strove to fever him but one day when he was resting leaning out of a window of the palace that was almost hidden by the heaped jasmine and clematis he heard horse-hoofs and presently saw luchnar his sallow face drawn into one frown of eagerness well mounted lightly armed just going to ride away olaf well knew whither a fierce pang shot through to olaf's heart he felt dizzied and confused through the clematis stems and curled tendrils through the mist rising from his own heart he dimly saw luchnar gather himself together raise his bridle hand and bend forward as his horse sprang up to the gallop he felt sick his strong hands trembled and through the whirling of his brain and the buzzing in his ears he heard himself shout out good speed sir luchnar with your wooing this was enough his heart sank and his passion grew cool for the second when he saw how fearfully luchnar's face changed at the well understood words troubled before as it had been what was it now when suddenly all the conscience of the man showed in that small spot of clay his face he turned the horse and rode back swiftly olaf waited for him there scarce knowing what he did at first yet within a little something thoughts of approaching death perhaps had steadied his brain and kept his passion back he heard soon the quick footsteps of someone striding far and walked quietly towards the door where he met luchnar his teeth set his lips a little open that his hard-drawn breathings might not choke him his black eyes fixed forward and shining grimly from under his heavy brows like penthouse roofs olaf took him by the arm and gripped him hard but he tore it away fiercely he flung himself down before olaf's feet king olaf he said passionately i will not go i will stay here then if you look at me like that with your broad white forehead and golden locks you i will die here if i cannot live till i meet the enemy olaf stooped to raise him up but he drew farther back from him then said still kneeling no word no word yet king from you was it not enough olaf that you should take care of me and love me in the days before you were king me a lonely discontented man a black spot in the clear whiteness of the most loving people of the earth was it not enough that on the day when all the people shouted for olaf calling him the wisest and the best you with the crown yet on your head the holy oil not dry there should take me by the hand and say to all the knights and all the people whom you loved so whom i god help me love not behold luchnar my friend who has given me all the wisdom i ever had ah king had you looked on me at that moment and seen even then my curling lips saying to my false heart i am so much wiser than these simple ones but your clear eyes only looked straight forward glancing over the heads of the people that was dear to you despised by me was it not enough king olaf 
that you as the days passed still keeping me the nearest to you still asking me concerning everything should be beginning to thaw my hard heart and to shake my faith in the faithlessness of adam's sons were not these things enough that you also first of all finding pretences to mar the nobleness of your sacrifice even to your own heart should give your love up to me not as i do now to you noisily but quietly without a word spoken then afterwards when you saw with what base eagerness i caught at that love given up by you and fearing terrible things for my wretched soul if this went on stopped me like my guardian angel just now when i was sneaking off like a thief in the night and perhaps now god help me have perhaps even made me do one thing in the course of my life which it is good to have done in his eyes then as he knelt there like a man before the presence of god the king spoke slowly with humble face indeed and tearfully but almost smiling because all things seemed so clear to him in a moment of prophetic vision dear knight your words seem like a bitter satire to me for i did not call you back just now for your salvation but because my selfish passion think of a selfish king lucna what a misery my passion carried me away oh forgive me for indeed i wish you to have her think now how many cares and joys too i have in tending this people that god has given me i am sure that i shall not be quite unhappy for long whatever happens sometimes perhaps when i am weary sometimes in the dead night sometimes in the dying autumn i shall have thoughts of her but they will never be unbearable because no power in earth or heaven can keep me from loving her it will be no shame to you either Luchna. do you not remember in past days how we talked of this matter you have often said wherein even then i scarce agreed with you that the love of man and woman should go before everything before all friendship all duty all honour even you thought so then can you doubt now he ceased and said no word for a little then spoke doubtfully and yet and yet are we not as men who reckon as they say without their host what will goethe say ought we not to know before this great battle is fought from which perchance neither of us will come alive and we march to-morrow and i may not leave the council of my work here wherefore dear Luchna, i pray you on your allegiance mount again and ride quickly away to the cottage and ask her if she loves you and if if look now we may be near to death whatever happens we must be brothers so god speed you on your wooing Luchna had risen while the king was speaking and stood before him till he ceased with head sunk down on his breast then raised his face radiant now with a certain joy to olaf's he spoke no word as though that joy or something else confused and hurrying that went with it was too great for him but bending kissed the king's hand and departed then olaf again leaned from the window and watched him go by again swiftly till the sound of the horse-hoofs had died away then he turned toward the council chamber thinking his face was not like the face of a man who is going to do what he thinks wrong i fear lest he go as my ambassador nay do i fear yet surely that will be the best way to speed his own wooing oh goethe goethe perhaps the sword will cut this knot so close wound up together now yet i will not pray for that only that luchna may live then presently he was in the midst of his lords 
oh what a weary ride that was of Luchnar's! it was early morning when he started high noon by the time he drew rein at the cottage door and that joy which at first he had in his noble deed faded from off his face as the sun rose higher even as the dew did from off the face of the meadows and when he dismounted at that house of sigurds his face was woeful and ghastly to look on he knocked at the door then entered when no one answered he said out aloud though he saw no one there as if he distrusted his power to repeat that lesson got by heart with such pain i bear a message to the lady gertha only the cool duskiness of the heavy shadowed oak beams met his eye only the echo of his own hollow voice and the chirp of the sparrows the scream of the swifts met his ear for gertha was not within but from the wood she had seen the glimmer of his arms in the hot noontide and came down stately and slow unmoved to look on but her heart of hearts wavering within her with hope and fear and ecstasy of love perhaps oh poor heart what wild hope it might be the king she met him just at the door from whence he had turned to seek her he durst not meet her eyes those grand fire orbs that had pierced him through and through that other day if he had looked up at her face he would have seen the disappointment the sickness of hope deferred showing somewhat there in spite of her efforts to keep the appearance of it back he with his face turned away said in a hard voice as before i bear a message for the lady gertha no blush coloured her pale cheeks no start or trembling went through her grand form she still held that flower in her hand holding it with queenly sway for it fitted in her hand like a sceptre she said gently if you want lady gertha you must go elsewhere my lord i am sigurd the husbandman's daughter but you are gertha that we heard sing that day he said fiercely and turning his eager eyes suddenly on her yea she said trembling a little now and turning even paler for she saw how matters went with him and feared not any violence from him for she soon read him through and through but rather that he should fall down dead before her his passion rent his heart so gertha olaf the king says will you be queen he said still looking hungrily at her the crimson blood rushed up over her face then went to her heart again leaving her very lips grey she paused a moment with her arms stretched straight down and her hands clenched she said without looking up tell him no i am too lowly not wise enough i should shame him i will not be queen but what wild passions rushed through poor luchnar's heart how he fought with that devil which had looked him steadily in the face so long ever since he was born till now she stood there still before him with arms stretched downward hands clenched he seized her by the wrist and almost shrieked out but what gertha gertha before god do you love him her colour came again as she looked him in the face put very close to hers now so close that she felt his breath upon it she said calmly almost proudly yea i love him how could it be otherwise some token then for christ's sake quick gertha and where will you be in the war-time my father goes with me to-morrow to the city i shall dwell at st agnes convent of nuns till boris is defeated 
then some token here and he tore down from the cottage eaves a bunch of golden stone crop if you love him think of god gertha kiss this she bowed her head and touched the yellow flowers with her lips as she did so he bent and kissed her forehead then with the flowers yet in his hand he sprung impetuously to his saddle and galloped as if for his life the devil was conquered at last poor knight said gertha looking after him pityingly then he loves me too it seems wrong to feel happy when such a noble knight is so miserable yet she did feel very happy and soon forgot poor luchnar and his sorrows who was riding meanwhile wildly through the forest yet as he drew further from her the madness of his passion abated a little he gave his horse rest at last and dismounting lay down on the ferns by the side of the forest path and there utterly worn out in mind and body fell asleep a dreamless sleep it was at first as deep as death almost yet as it grew lighter he fell to dreaming and at last woke from a dream wherein gertha had come to him shrieked out that olaf was slain then thrown her arms about his neck but as he tried to kiss her he awoke and found himself under the beech boughs his horse standing over him and the bridle hanging loose from the bit dangling about his face for the horse doubted if he were dead he rose from that dream with a great wrench of his heart and mounting rode on soberly the moon shone down on him now for he had slept far into the night the stone crop was fading fast and as he looked at it he doubted whether to curse it or bless it but at last raised it to his mouth and kissed it knowing whose lips had touched it before looking half fearfully over his shoulder as he did so perhaps he thought a little also how olaf's face would flush into perfect beauty for joy when he saw it for joy mixed with a certain regret for himself so when he reached the palace quite late at night when the moon was already setting he found olaf standing in the great hall alone looking pale and wearied luchnar came quite close to him and said taking his hand and smiling a sick smile olaf she sent you this kissing it olaf caught the faded flowers kissed them a thousand times knelt and held them against his heart against his forehead he murmured what words i know not or knowing shall not say while luchnar stood by with that old bitter smile on his lips poor fellow he had expected sudden clasping of olaf's arms about him praise for his nobleness consolation for his failure ah did he not know himself what a passion love was then why did he expect from so true a man as olaf protestation that he was the first when truly he was but the second oh you all know what it is to be second in such a race it is to be nowhere why he too if he had been successful would have forgotten olaf and the way his sword flashed in the battle it was only now in his disappointment that a certain natural instinct made him catch at all the love that came across him of whatsoever kind that was why he thought so much of olaf now yes and in a little time he did think of all this and smiled no more poor luchnar he said to himself 
you must be very far in the background now know that for certain then did you not know all this when you knelt here some twelve hours back oh foolish luchnar yes poor luchnar too and he was now so far from smiling that but for his manhood he would have wept for self-pity moreover olaf came to him and said laying his hands on his shoulders and leaning forward towards his face you are the noblest of all men and will in no wise lose your reward and luchnar knew that or he might have gone mad yet he prayed that his reward might be death presently in the joyous battle so on the morrow they marched to meet king boris and on the evening of the third day encamped but a little distance from his pirates and when on the next morning they stood in battle array and the king rode up and down their line luchnar saw in his helm the bunch of stone crop now quite withered then that day among the aspens they joined battle chapter three the light of israel then in the midst of them the old man rose up and spoke while all the rest sat silent some gazing fixedly on the ground some on the fair dead king that lay there before them for he had been slain with one wound that had gone right through his breast to the heart and his body was not hacked or disfigured they had taken his rent armour from off him and washed his corpse and spread out his long yellow hair to right and left of his face along the samite cloth purple gold starred that he lay upon and behind him at his head they had laid his sword and armour the helm yet having that stone crop in it the ends of the stalks at least for all the rest had been shredded off in that fierce fight great waxen candles burned all about him two priests sat at the head and two at the foot of the bier clad in gorgeous robes of deep sorrowful purple gold embroidered for these men reverenced man's body so even when the soul was not so near to it as it had been that in those hours of doubt and danger they thought the time well spent in making the body of their king of him the best and most beautiful of all men look as beautiful as god would ever have dead bodies look so while some gazed on the ground some on the fair dead king none weeping but all stern with thought for they had to think of him as being present with them in their council not dead while they gazed earnestly the old man barulf arose and said sons of the men that go from east to west and round again to the east i advise you this day to do such a deed of valour as you have never done yet death in god's behalf on the side of your friends is not hard to bear brothers even when it comes slow and lingering but how glorious to die in a great battle borne down by over many foes to lie never dead but a living terror for all time to god's enemies and ours a living hope to the sons of god and to die altogether beholding between the sword-strokes the faces of dear friends all alight with intensest longing is that not glorious their stern faces lighted up with flushing of cheek and flashing of eye as he spake 
for in their hearts was fear of something far worse than dying on that field between the aspens with friends eyes upon them but barulf went on yet brothers not this i bid you do i give as my counsel that we depart this night taking with us nothing but our arms some small provision and this dear dead thing here turn our backs upon the foe and depart that we may reach the mother city where the women and children are and i think i have good reasons for this and how then shall we face the women and children said a young man moodily brother said barulf will you be a coward indeed from fear of being thought a coward your heart does not counsel this i know and as for the women and children are they mere beasts so as not to understand this will they not say rather these men are warriors they cannot fear death then are they the braver to be so faithful to be without fear of reproach for fear so faithful to us above all things we will love them all the more but why should we not die here fighting sir barulf said another are there not men left when we are all dead yea dear knight men but not men enough think a while adolf with his ten thousand men and god's snow and storm that are tens and tens of thousands guard the passes against the emperor good they are enough as it is but take away half for the defence of the cities the mother city above all which is the weakest the most beautiful the fullest of women and children of all and then would five thousand be enough to guard those passes even as it is were not this summer a cold one and the snows deep the emperor might drive his serf soldiers with whip and sword-point over our dead soldiers bodies but suppose they were lessened our heroes would indeed die in their places and would doubtless slay many of the enemy but suppose they killed and wounded twice their own number yet two days afterwards some two hundred thousand men would be marching over our land within fifty miles of the beautiful city again edwin and his three hundred ships diligently sailing into every nook and strait of the pirate island and every day and night solemnly passing to and fro with the white red crossed banner at their mastheads guard the coast well but let him land half nay a third only of his men for the defence of the city and in a week the seaport towns and villages safe from all scathe now would be blazing very high toward the heavens and king boris's red and black shipsides would gleam with the reflection of the greek fire as the dragons of it leapt toward the harbour mouth moreover the lord hugh in his fortified camp holds his own well enough now against the three dukes who prowl always like accursed cowardly wolves as they are gnashing their teeth when they think that their provisions cannot last much longer not more than another month and stamping on the ground invoke the devil their cousin german when they remember that not a blade of grass or ear of corn is left in the country behind them laid waste as it was by fire by the cruel fools as they marched they howling too for very rage when they see the wains in long lines entering hugh's camp and when they hear the merry sound of the trumpets mingled often with the chanting of the priests and the singing of men singing about death that is no death ah they howl the wolves disappointed enough now but suppose hugh were to weaken his camp so as no longer to be able to send out his swarm of light-armed 
who prevent the enemy from spoiling the as yet unwasted country then also no longer fearing an attack the dukes march nearer to him get themselves corn and wine cut off his supplies march past him at last with their fifty thousand men not easy to destroy then for cowards as the dukes are and imbecile drivellers knowing nothing of war yet have they along with them crafty captains who when their highnesses passions master them not give good advice which is listened to and the commoner sort though robbers by nature and nurture have yet a certain kind of courage and much strength in body and skill of arms in all the warriors faces you might have seen a gloomy conviction that his counsel was good but they sat silent it seemed such a shame to turn and flee before this enemy they had just beaten yet never for a moment did they doubt but that their people would in the end prevail over the enemies that hemmed them in whatever became of those twenty thousand left alive there on the plain and barulf spoke to the better part of all their hearts when he said does it then seem so hard a thing to you sons of the men that go westward that we having fought for three days such a battle as this should have at last to turn and flee carrying our dead king with us oh it is hard very bitter and cruel brothers yet is it god's will and in his sight doubtless is as glorious as if we all died here in our places and i am well assured that this and all things else only hasten us westward it cannot be in any of your hearts that this people should fail nay rather our sons sons in the aftertime will speak of these as glorious days in which the nations hedged us about but in which we prevailed mightily against them but for another matter and as he spoke the memory came across him bitterly that the king they had chosen but two years since lay dead before them now then his face changed and so it was with all of them now that they were free to think of that loss for but a little time back he had been with them even just now as they talked in their old way of fresh battles and thought of the swinging of the swords he had almost seemed to be there alive but now one of the priests who sat beside him had fallen asleep wearied out with tending the wounded and dying and his head had fallen on his breast another sat quite upright with his hands laid on his knees thinking dreadful things of what was coming on the land the third a spare young man black-haired and sallow-faced in his nervous anxiety twitched at the border of his cope as he glanced about the tent looking uneasily on the face first of one then of another of those that sat there the fourth as he sat sad-faced and great-eyed thinking of his mother and sisters whom he had left in a castle of the lowland country had taken one long yellow tress of the dead man's hair and was absently twining it about his fingers then arose lucnar with about as miserable a look on his face as a good man can ever have and said sir barulf i know what you are about to say concerning the king a shudder ran through them all i have a message from the king to all of you i was by him when the spear pierced his true heart i drew him a little out of the fight he said i am wounded to death but alive or dead i must not leave this field 
bury me just about where the enemy makes his last stand before he turns for you see knights our dead lord was sure of this that the fair city would be saved then the blood rising from his heart choked him somewhat yet he said gaspingly quick luchna bend to my mouth so i bent and he said faintly and hurriedly undo my mail and take the paper there and give it to the lords and knights in council so i took a paper from his breast over his heart the spear had pierced it through and had carried some of it into the wound and the trickling blood had stained it i took it from off the broken truncheon of the lance which was yet in the wound i showed it to him he bowed his head in token that all was well when he had looked at it eagerly then he said i wish to go draw out the truncheon faithful and true poor luchnar i drew it out there was a great rush of blood he smiled on me and died thereon luchnar stepped from his place and going up to barulf gave him the paper very much stained and torn barulf read it good saints how strange do you know what is written in it sir luchnar nay but i guess sir barulf for i did not open it listen knights said barulf and he read knights and lords if i die in this battle as i think i shall then if so be it seem good to you let gertha the daughter of sigurd the husbandman be queen in my stead she lodges in the mother city with the abbess of st agnes's abbey of nuns yes i thought so said luchnar scarcely however speaking to them for he was thinking to himself of himself his sorrow seemed to have lessened much even in the reading of that letter for he thought now she is queen and has this sorrow on her i can serve her much better and my love will not trouble her now as it would have done for it will seem only like the love of a good subject to his mistress and i will lessen every grief of hers as it arises loving her so never vexing her in the least oh selfish luchnar to be glad of her sorrow yet i am glad not of her sorrow but of my service that will be these thoughts and how many more he thought in a single instant of time how many pictures came up to be gazed on as it were for a long time in that instant pictures of his life before he saw her and of the things which in his mind belonged to her the white sandy shore that the low waves broke on the feathering beech-trees with their tender green leaves in the early summer king boris's burnt ships great logs clomb over by the bryony and clematis the high-roofed cottage whereon the loving golden glowing stone-crop grew they came up before his eyes to be gazed at and the heavy waxen candles burnt lower the sleeping priest breathed heavily the others sat in painful silence nursing their grief which things luchnar saw not because of those sweet pictures even as they say the drowning man when the first fierce pain and struggle is over sees no more the green red-stained swaying water-weeds that lap his hands and mouth sees rather his old home and all the things that have been for memory is cruel kind to men still the candles flared and flickered in the gusts that stirred the tent for the wind was rising with the moon and at last the one nearest the tent door was blown out by a long blast 
and the priest who had been sleeping awoke drew up his body with a start trying to fix his blinded blinking eyes on sir barulf's face as waked men used to do thereat suddenly barulf sprung to his feet as if he too was waking from sleep and cried out aloud rouse ye lords and knights that we may march to our queen for for my part our queen she shall be all he said and did was right and true when he was alive and he was and is the wisest of all men and she too is a right noble woman was it never told you knights how she saved her father when king boris's men took him prisoner what say you shall she be our queen and they all said yea then again said barulf unless lords edwin hugh and adolf gainsay it as i have no doubt they will not god save queen gertha then they all stood up and said god save queen gertha and barulf said send a herald round about the army to proclaim gertha queen and to bid all to be ready to march some two hours before the setting of the moon cause also the knight who carries the great banner to be present that we may bury the king so when all was ready the noblest of the knights barulf and luchnar among them lifted up the bier whereon the king lay and they marched together towards the burial place and the standard-bearer bore the great banner to flap above him and the priests went before and after chanting and a great body of knights and soldiers went with them as they marched over the plain and the great moon risen now struck on their arms threw the shadows of them weirdly on the dead that lay so thick among the trees looked down on by the summer moon rustled over by the full-leafed aspens they went a full mile till they came to a place ringed about with aspen trees about which the enemy that past day had been finally broken here they buried him standing about in a ring in as thick ranks as ever in the battle tearlessly and sternly they watched the incense smoke rising white in the moonlight they listened to the chanting they lifted up their voices and very musically their sorrow of heart was spoken listen said king boris's men when they heard the singing hark to the psalm singing dogs but by about this time to-morrow they will be beginning to leave off singing for good and all for clearly the fools will wait to be killed and we shall kill them all and then hurrah for plunder but the next day about noontide when they not hurrying themselves for they thought they were quite safe when they reached the camp behold it was empty for they all marched the night before and were now still marching along the dusty road leagues and leagues from that battlefield whereon king boris instead of pursuing them returned to his camp where he gnashed his teeth for some half hour or so and held a great feast he and his and stayed on that field for three days to give his army rest he said End of part five